Hi, this is Bill Kennedy again with the Arden Labs podcast. And today we have a special guest named Carlicia Thompson. Hey, Carlicia. Hi, Bill. Hi, everybody. Hey, I love the t-shirt. If you can't see it on the regular podcast, which has got a beautiful green t-shirt with a gopher on it. Actually, I've never seen that t-shirt before. Where'd you get that gopher shirt? I know. This is my favorite. And it's funny because it's my favorite and I don't remember where it came from. My husband tells me he bought it for me. <laughs> and nobody remembers. So he, he gets to claim, claim He it. remembers that he bought it for me. He thought it was... Uh, no, I, I, I don't know where I got it. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> but it is my favorite, though. So to be fair, I think uh, to as a disclaimer, Carly and I have known each other for what, four or five years now. Yeah, yeah. Right? Definitely right. five years. Five years, I think. Yeah. There are things actually about Carlicia, even though I, I've known her for about five years, that I that I don't know. And so one of the things, you know, in this podcast, we, I like to ask people about how they got started and how they've gotten to where they are. And right now, Carlicia, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about where you are right now? So when I jump back into the past, they can kind of get a sense of the present. Yeah, sure thing. So I am working at VMware right now, and I am working on a open source project named Valero. Valero does backup and recovery of Kubernetes clusters. It's a very popular project, and if you're not if you're not in that ecosystem, it's the most popular backup and recovery tool for Kubernetes. So. We get a lot of visibility because of that. And of course, it's backed by VMware. So we have a lot of resources to work with. And Valero was originated at Haptio, which is where I started. And Haptio was bought by VMware a year and a half ago, I think. Time, I have no concept of time anymore. So I, I was at Haptio that was bought by VMware. And that's where I am right now. And you are, I hate these kind of labels, but you're a back-end engineer. I mean, you're working on the core services for Valero. It depends how you define it, because the Valero front-end is the CLI. And so I work the front-end, too, the front-end, back-end. But it, it doesn't have a, a graphical front-end, right? It's, it's all on the terminal or script, if you you can use gotcha. interactive with it just via commands, basically. So let's go back at least five years. And I remember that when I met you, you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, a Ruby developer. Tell me about that job when we first met, because you weren't necessarily coding in Go yet, but you were interested in the community. But talk a little bit about what you were doing there as a Ruby developer. So I was working at a company that did mobile ads. And uh, so I was developing apps. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's why I suck at interview because I, I don't remember things. But was that back-end development too? Was that back-end stuff or were you doing front-end Ruby? Like I have never been a front-end developer. Okay. Because reasons. No, seriously, front-end is really complicated. And I think when, this is my impression, when I was starting out, that every time I, I went for a job interview, I'm sidetracking here completely. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, no, no. no. I want to hear your story in your words. 
So whenever I went for interviews at the beginning, I just wanted a job programming. I was like, I want to be a programmer. Please give me a job and pay me. But every time I went for a job, people automatically wanted me to be a front-end developer. I don't know why. But I started noticing that they didn't just want me. If that was it, I would have gone with it and I would have been happy. Thank you very much. But I was noticing that what they thought was front-end development also included design. They wanted me to design things. And I don't have that skill. I just don't. If you ask me to do a button, I might know how to do the button, but then how do you pick, how do you decide what color the button should be? I have, like, it stresses me out. I don't have that aesthetics. Your brain, I think, needs to think in a different way, look at the world in a different way. I don't have that. So that I tried, so that made me really move away from that fast because I was not going to put myself in a position that people expected me to design beautiful things and, and I was not, I was going to fail. So with that, I was like really shying away from front end positions. And I guess I was lucky that I was able to. So with that, I'm telling you, I was never a front end developer. I have managed to never learn JavaScript. Yay me. <laughs> I know people are going to like, well, you should know as many languages as possible. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. You should know more than one language, yes. Like a, a few, yes. It's really helpful. Do you, know to, do you have to know all of them? No. <laughs> I don't like JavaScript. And at any rate, I think if you're a front-end developer, JavaScript is probably going to be on your plate. Long story to say, I have everything I've done was back-end, and that was a, a, reason, a funny reason behind it. Now, was that your first engineering job that when I had met you, or like? Gosh, I, no. Yeah, so th this, this is the interesting stuff for me. <laughs> so this is the interesting, right? You grew up in Brazil. Did you go to university in Brazil? No. No. So when did you start your desire, your career towards software development, right? Was it in Brazil or was it when you came to the States? Like, I'm really interested how that happened. When I was growing up in Brazil, there were no computers anywhere in my radius. But I always heard, you know, computers are the future. I always heard that message, but I hadn't even looked at a computer. <laughs> so when I went to high school, I went to high school in Brazil, and I, I, all my college and graduate degrees are from the States. So I went to high school at night, because uh, there was a program at night. It was an accounting, it was a, sort of like a trade school. And I just wanted to go to, I, it wasn't that I wanted to do accounting, it was just that I wanted to go to school at night so I could do an internship during the day. So I worked at a bank as an intern for two years. And when that was over and they couldn't extend the internship, I went and did an internship at a petroleum company, this company named uh, Petrobras. At the time, it was the only, it was a nationalized company. It was the only one that had, did, did anything related to petroleum, and there's a lot of petroleum in Brazil. At any rate, when I was there, I worked as a secretary, because of course, where else would they put me? <laughs> I, you know, cute young girl, right? Like, where, where else would they put me? Of course. Uh, no, I'm sorry. First, I worked in a team of engineers, like transcribing some stuff, which I thought was really cool, because everything they did, I had no idea even existed. 
And then when that internship was over, they wanted to extend my internship, but I had to transfer to another department. And I said, I wanted to go to the IT department because computers, right? It's like, I have no clue. I want to learn. I want to know what, 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 what I can do. I just want to learn. I just want to explore. It wasn't that I like, oh, I really like computers. And that's why I just didn't know computers at all. I just wanted to learn. So I really advocated, like I really want, my boss really liked me. I was doing a good job. That's why they wanted to extend the internship. But instead of taking me to the <laughs> computer department, putting me there, they put me as a secretary to this big shot director. And they, you know, they just offer like, oh, it's such a great <laughs> opportunity. I'm like, yeah. Thank you. So I was secretary for a while and uh, did not do, get to do computers. So after my internship was completely over there, I worked at a job at a graphics company. So anyway, I was using computers to do like editing. And then right after I came to the U.S. And I was 19, so I didn't have a college degree. I did not know English. It was a long journey of learning English and getting to a... Uh, by the time I started taking classes in college, at any rate, it's, it's a, another really long story. But when I started taking classes in college, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to get a philosophy degree. I wanted to get a marketing degree, a business degree. The actual computer science degree was very intimidating because I didn't feel that I had the solid logic and math. And I was just not. It just looked unattainable for me so what I did was I got a bachelor's degree in MIS so a lot of business classes some like lightweight computers just like how computers work no programming that was my degree but aside from getting my degree I got I did a, a program that was a certificate and it was called a CISP Computer Information Systems Program. It was very much like another minor degree. And in that program, I, I learned database, design database, just like designing actual systems. We, I had really good teachers in, in programming, and we had a big project at the end that we had to do everything and, and use all the classes that we had. Everything that we learned and, and use it to put together a system. And so I learned a ton and I, and I was building things and we were working in teams. Before I even finished my undergrad degree, I got a job in as an online marketing manager, whatever. I was, I was like tracking and analyzing online ads. All right. So you, you, you went to university and you've, you got a degree in management information and MIS, a side degree. Which was really hard back then, believe me. MIS, we don't even <laughs> hear that now. But back then, it's like, okay, MIS is a good bridge between business and tech. So when I was doing the marketing ads and, and, and organizing, managing, tracking, analyzing, I felt like I was doing nothing. I felt so demotivated because, like, what am I doing? It's like moving one number from here to there and... It just felt very not fulfilling. I felt I missed programming is great, either front end, back end, because you build things and it's, you see the results so automatically, so instantaneously. It's like, okay, wow, I built this thing. It's like 
I can see actually even see it. So I missed that. And I said, well, okay, I really want to go into programming. That's what I have what I want to do. If I didn't know for sure before, now I know for sure. But that was the one, the 2008 time frame and the market, the, the tech bu bubble completely burst. So right before that, I could have gotten any job as a programmer. Like anybody who was breathing could get a job as a programmer because that's how hot the market was. <laughs> I'm totally serious. Like I had people calling me all the time, being super annoying, wanting me to go and work as a programmer because I was on the job market. I had my resume out there with my phone number. So the supply and demand was totally skewed towards for people who wanted to get into tech. But I didn't because I was like, oh, I want to explore the business side of things. So when I realized, no, I want to be a programmer, the bubble burst, yay. And I could not get a job to save my life. Programming, right? I did have some interviews, but it was nobody was take was going to take someone who didn't have experience or degree related to programming. Even though, yeah, I did some programming and that was what, what got me to, through to interviews, but that wasn't enough. So I decided, well, if I'm really serious about this, I can't magically make job experience uh, appear for me, but I can go and get a degree. So that's what I did. I applied for a graduate program and I was going to start in January, or I start in September. Or, uh, no, I was going to start in January for some reason. I don't know why I didn't start in September. And as soon as I got accepted, I got an internship as a programmer because I was also out there applying. And in, you know, so in programming sense. Wow. Okay. That opens up so many doors that I want to walk through. It seems like for you, traditional education has been that stepping stone that's allowed you to kind of progress in the directions that you've wanted to go in, right? Like I can't get a job, so I'm going to go back to university or I need this. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to university and you don't necessarily hear people saying that today, right? Well, back then, remember, this is 2008. There were no book boot camps. It was either, I, and, and also it didn't have to be a graduate degree, right? I could have gotten a bachelor's degree. Some people like to like shit on, on graduate degrees. <laughs> it was just like in two years time, I can get a degree. That's a, not, that's a degree that I don't have and I need. So for context, back then there were no boot camps. How else was I going to get that experience? in credentials, right? So for well, me, me, it was clear cut. Uh, let me ask you this though, because I think having the graduate degree was a good move because it just shows another level of education, right? But if the boot camps and the infrastructure that we have today existed back then, would you have done that, you think, instead of the graduate degree? And do you think you would have been just as good or like, I feel like the graduate degree has a lot more meat. It's impossible to know, right? It's impossible to know. It's very possible I would have gone for boot camp because graduate degree for me was very intimidating. And I'm telling you, Bill, there were tears. There were tears. I, I would cry because I, ha I would have a test the next day and I was, didn't feel prepared. 
I felt I would like I'm going to fail all this work, all this money, and it was very stressful because I felt very responsible to to get good use out of that time and the money, and you know I felt like my future hinged on my getting this degree. <laughs> you know, you put pressure on yourself, right? You you have goals and you want to meet them. So there were a lot of tears. So, which is to say, it was intimidating, and then it turned out to be rightly so. It was not easy. So if there mm-hmm. had, like, I perceived the graduate degree to be very rigorous, and I didn't, I wasn't sure <laughs> I was prepared for that. And it turned out like a lot of times I I, I wasn't, and I felt or I felt that I wasn't. So if had, there had been a boot camp, maybe I would have done that instead. I, I, it's possible. Now to your other question, which was which is great, was it better for me? Did it turn out better to get a graduate degree? Not knowing what a boot camp program is, knowing what uh, I, I know because I've, I've looked at the curriculum, I've interviewed a lot of people who have gone to boot camp. Boot camps are great, so, um, I, but for me, the CS having that CS degree gave me a lot more. So it prepared me better for a long-term career. Okay. It's almost sounding like I think you would have maybe at moments would have maybe quit the graduate degree if the boot camp option was potentially there, or you think you're the kind of person I would have finished it regardless. I don't quit. You don't quit. Okay. I don't quit. I would have repeated classes, but I would have finished it. Sorry. It's just my personality. I would have finished it. No, so for me, if I had made a decision, like if I had gone through the mental struggle of like deciding boot camp, master's degree, and I had decided on a master's degree, that was it. I was going to finish it. And one, I didn't know, maybe I did, but I don't remember knowing that you had a graduate degree. And I, and maybe it's my age. I mean, I find that impressive, right? Like I, I think having that level of education is impressive. I don't have it. I hated school. So once I got my undergraduate degree, the thought of going back was basically no. I just wonder today how many people look at a resume and see boot camp or graduate degree. Like you're, I, I think especially the companies that you've worked at, that's probably helped a lot because on the back end side of the work you were doing, a lot of it was academic, right? I mean, what was your progression after that Ruby? Actually, what, what I really want to explore, because I think it's, there's a lot of people today who want to work and go, who right now are having a hard time transitioning because they don't have either that go experience they need or they don't feel they're, they're ready, right? You're somebody who made that transition from Ruby into backend development and go. So let's talk about that because at some point you're working in that company doing Ruby and what made you say, I want to do the same things I'm doing, but I want to do it in go. Like what, what happened there? Then tell me, what did you do at that point to get that first go job? Okay. So you have two big questions here. So one is why and the other is how. So two very long stories again. <laughs> How many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, wa- I want you to focus the story on somebody listening to this kind of in the same place you are, you were, and try to pull in a little bit of like, not guidance, but maybe your story can help somebody figure out the same, that, that path that they need, right? So kind of 
drive the path a little bit and, and the mindset as you tell the story to help somebody who might be in the same spot? Yeah, I think knowing the why, your why, right? Not my why. Your why, if you are considering doing anything, is super important. But the why doesn't have to be like a noble cause. The why doesn't have to be because I want to change the world. I want I want world peace. The why doesn't have to be anything like that at all. You just you, but you must have a why. The why might be I want to make an like a twenty thousand dollars a year extra, and I can do that. I can achieve that if I if I become a good programmer. That's absolutely fine. Anything, but you must have a why. That's what I think. So my why was when I was working at that job. I had spent four years, five years struggling through running my own company. Now, two years, the first two years were like 24-7. And then after the two years, I got completely burned out. And the the other three years, I sort of like goofed off. (laughs) Like I was, I didn't want to face reality because at the end of those two years, I should have gotten a job. I I just didn't want to face reality that things didn't work out. Wait, but you were starting this business at the same time you were working full time. No, no, different. Okay. No, no. The business after those two years plus three years of two years of like denial, then I'm like, oh yeah, I have to get a job. So I, I got that job. I'm just saying, I was trying to say I should have gotten the job way earlier. <laughs> Even financially, it was like, okay, we weren't starving or anything, but it would have helped. But I, I wasn't. We are like. We were in denial. I was in total denial and I was very burnt out. Anyway, but when I was running my company, it was a software company, and we were programming with Ruby and Ruby on Rails, and we were, we were building this really huge software system. I don't want to get into it. It doesn't matter for this purpose. The thing is, after two years of building that system, which was really big and complex, we had a ton of tests which were great. We had a culture of everything needed to be tested, which was great. What was not great was that if you wanted to run all the tests, it was a 30-minute thing. <laughs> you just sat there and waited. <laughs> and I'm thinking as an owner of a business, you feel a burn, a, <laughs> a whole burn in your pocket. You feel it's like, oh, it's happening. Because the money that's going to those developers is coming from your bank account. So it happened as I was interviewing before I got that job. So right before I got that job, during when I was interviewing, I was thinking, yeah, let me boot this up, that the, the app that we were building. Let me boot it up and poke at it, right? Because I was going for Ruby on Rails jobs. I was like, let me poke at this. So if anybody who, uh, anyone who's post worked with Ruby on Rails now or Ruby, if even like two weeks go by, you have to update <laughs> a bunch of jams. And I'm like, okay, that this is like, I haven't looked at this for years. And I had to do so many jam updates. It was crazy. So whatever, I don't even know how long. So I went through the whole process of updating that app, bringing it to like, okay, it can run on, on the computer that I have now, on, on the operating system that I have now, everything is up to date. Now I can run. And I sat and I ran the tasks and it took 30 minutes. And I, and I was like, oh my God, this is so painful for so many reasons. I mean, as a developer, I don't want to sit there if I want to run all the tasks and wait 20, 30 minutes. This is, ah. And as a manager or, or a business owner, I was like, oh my God, if I have five developers and they're doing this a couple, a couple times a week, it's like, 
here, throw my money on the toilet. Like, this is crazy. So that just got me so riled up. I, I'm saying this because it's relevant. So I, I go and I get this job and it's great. People there are great. And then they wanted to get into, you know, be very innovative. So, and they had a, a goal team. They had some part of the system that was done in goal. Obviously, I was not on that team. I was not really, like, I wasn't looking at goal at all. So, but the same, send us to the goal conference, the GoforCon, the second one in 2015. They sent the entire goal team. And I was in this new innovation team, which was my boss and me. It, had, it was uh, just created. We're supposed to be like the lead team in the company. So we went because, you know, innovation. We went to see, we went to the conference. It was great. I actually didn't meet you at the conference. I, we met talking online right after. But during the conference, I saw a talk by Pars. I think it's Pars. This company, okay. they were bought by Facebook. Yeah, Pars, I think, was bought by Facebook. Pars, yeah. right? That was so many years ago. And the, the guy was talking about my, how they migrated Pars from Ruby on Rails to Go with four developers over two years. And the test went from, guess what? Really got my attention. 30 minutes or like 25 minutes, something in that ballpark to like four minutes. And I was like, whoa, I found the holy grail. I was like, okay, that's what I want. It's like that, I want that. And I just got in my head that I want that. I, that's, if, if you're going to build an app, you have to build an app that is, you know, a, a big system can run all the tests in four minutes. That's what I want to be. <laughs> I, didn't, okay, I didn't know so what the language looks like. I didn't know anything. I was just like, this is where I want to be. I want to move. This is where I am. Where, and it wasn't just my app. Any Ruby on Rails app that was big enough would take that long to run tests. And I just wanted to leave that and move to where an app like that would run tests in four minutes. That was it. No, I'm going to get back to this, but I got a quick question. How long does it take to run all the tests for Valero? If we are just running tests uh, on the... Um, sorry, I had to think because there are two ways we run tests. It's it, If it, we're just running on a command line, it would take, uh, like, just go test. Take, I don't know, not even a minute. Less than a minute. I have never timed it. It's just, like, super quick. But then another way to run is like I'll make files and it'll build an image and then run a bunch of make targets like oh formatting and test and, yeah. and building the image. That takes that takes a little bit. And, and then we have some generator code. So during that build process, we, we try we go we in the process of removing that that generator code because through the process of testing, it generates the code and that is the piece that makes it take long, a long time. Anyway. Yeah. It, it, I really hate it. I hate <laughs> waiting for tests to run. So I re that really annoys me, that part, but we're getting rid of it. All right, so let's get back. So you see this, oh my God, I could get my tests down from 30 minutes to four minutes. So you're sold on that talk. So you're still a Ruby developer. You're on an innovation team. You're working with your boss. So you now have to convince him that anything new this innovation team does is now going to be in Go? Like, 
tell me a little bit about that because now we're getting close to this transition, right? That you're able to make. Yeah. So he's my predicament. So my boss, he was great in the sense that he was a young guy. He would be totally interested in using Go for, for building apps. He was totally open for that, but it wasn't up to him in a lot of ways. So he's my predicament. I was put in this, I'm doing air quotes here, you people, everyone, is like elite team. So it had just been formed, you know, with trying to, uh, like the idea is that we're going to build this team out. So now I'm like, I want to move to the Go team. <laughs> How do I do that? That story I can cut, I can cut to the chase. It didn't work out. I tried. I I taught. I tried my best political moves, which are not great to begin with. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm like, what do I do? So I talked to my boss. I talked to the lead of the Go team, and basically, none of them had any power to make any decision. It, the the company wanted to have this elite team build it out, and just taking the one developer from that team and moving it, it was just didn't make sense from the perspective of the company. But then he ended up that the developer ended up leaving the team anyway and the company <laughs> because, you know, I was like, I'm serious about this. I, I really, that's where I want to be. And that's like where, what, what I want to invest my professional time to learn. That's the next learning thing that I, that I want to achieve. And yeah, so you know, on one hand, I'm not super good at waiting, but I should take that back because it did take me a year. I mean, I was doing my work, but I was also, you know, on my free time. I was learning Go. I was getting involved in the community. I got involved in GoBridge. And through doing a lot of things, I learned a lot. And then so a year later, I did get a job. I, I was interviewing this whole time. I was trying to get interviews. I did interviews that you know didn't work out and then i did an interview that worked out and it was a, a really good company but let me explore that a little bit because for a year you're coding in ruby asking to be put on the go on the team that was using go and it's not happening so you're kind of getting frustrated but in between that you're on you're doing side projects or you're doing anything you can to learn go so is that right? Like when you started interviewing for your first Go job, you didn't have any actual production level experience, right? What, what projects, what were you doing in that year that allowed you to be successful in that interview? Because that's interesting to me. So, so just to clarify, I didn't keep at it, right? I did what I thought I could do. And once things didn't pan out and I concluded, this is just not going to happen. Right. I didn't keep at insisting. I didn't keep at it. Like people didn't change. The strategy of the companies didn't change. The teams didn't change. So I went as far as I could go trying to make the move. Didn't work. So I just, OK, now my next move is I mean, I, I, I would have stayed at the company. I think it worked way better for me to have left no matter what. <laughs> but side effect. So in the meantime, I was not working on paid projects or anything i was just trying to learn on my own oh i did a exorcism.io I, I was i was doing some some exercises there that was the gopher gala 
So I, I did go for gala, and I was just like any any for me having a challenge with a like clear scope, small enough for me to be able to grasp. It was good for me because okay, I know input output is not is not a big thing. I, even if I fail, if I learn a little bit, it's good. So little bit by little bit, I was learning. And I was looking at code all the time. And when I did interviews, I'm not very clear how people like beginner, beginner programmers go to interviews these days. But once you have some years of experience, you don't really need to know the language you're getting, applying for, right? What you need to show is that you have an interest to learn, you have a why, or, or at least you're not opposed to learning a new thing. And you have to show that you have the capacity to learn, an interest and that motivation to learn. So I, I had an abundance of motivation because I could just say, I've been to the conference and I'm doing this, go, I've done the Go for Gala, I had things to show, like I, all of these little things that I've done. I could, I could talk the language, you know, I had the vocabulary. I didn't work the experience, I didn't have the experience, but I was, Talking to people, I was acquiring the vocabulary. I started following a bunch of people on Twitter. I started understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the language, which I could identify because I have been, I have been programming for years. So, like I understand when we look at languages, what we what we are looking for. So I started learning from that angle a lot of concepts, a lot of vocabulary, how to talk about it. And you don't need to actually code to understand those things. So, and through like, like doing little things, and also a lot of, of the interviews had cold exercises, like, right? Like, you, what is it called? When a, a company asks you to do a, a, a small project, take home. Yeah, I actually really like those. That's also how I got the job. That was my interview process I have too. I had a take home, I did it, and then, you know, I had to, I talked to a couple people, we went over the, my implementation. I really like those. So it's not for not everybody likes it. I understand that. So through going through those code projects, every time I did one, I had to push myself to do something I didn't know how to do. So I okay, there's a few more things that I learned. That was my process. What was the company that you ended up that ended up hiring you for your first go job? Fastly. That was Fastly. So this is interesting because. This is the first time I'm hearing from somebody that that take home exercise uh, was really valuable in your ability to get the job because you were able to speak to being an engineer, which is really important in the interview process, right? There was no doubt that you had engineering background and that you've had things in production and that was huge, but you didn't have a lot of experience in the language yet. But that take-home exercise allowed you to show that you could code and go for them. And without that, maybe you don't necessarily get the job, right? Well, I wouldn't say that. But what usually happens with interviews, I interview a lot as well. So I have, throughout my career, I have always interviewed people. So companies usually have, either they have a cold project or they don't. So companies who don't have a cold project, they tend to explore technical knowledge on in a, during the interview. So when when there is a cold project, 
that diminishes. And for me, I much rather, like maybe because I'm visual, but I do a lot better if I'm talking about something that I implemented. Those interviews are not easy, but for me, they're much easier <laughs> than sitting in front of someone and having questions being slinged at me or slung, how do you say it? You know, being thrown at me and like, I don't know what's, what the next question is. Like there's a whole entire huge universe of things that, that I would should ha- would be, have to be prepared for. You know, sometimes I do well and sometimes I do super poorly. Okay. I might not even remember what I did. You know, of course, if I'm interviewing, I would go over my, my things, but like I, it's hard to remember what you did. And if I'm working on a cold project, and then I'm going to have a part of the interview that's going to be, you know, behavior interview and some generally technical things. But as far as the, like the deep tech, di- tech dive is going to be about the project, about the implementation, how I think through things, the, the solution. That I implement, the, the implementations, what I didn't implement also comes into play, right? And it's sort of like if you want to hire someone to write for you, you want to know how they write. I think cold uh, projects are great for that because that's what we do day in and day out, write code. So, yeah, I want to look at your code. It's really interesting. So, Fastly gives you your first kind of opportunity as being a full time Go engineer, right? What was the the project that they put you on there? Yeah, I actually was very lucky. I got to work with great people, very supportive, and they I got to work on the TLS team. So Fastly is a it's a content delivery network. So one thing that you have to have in a system like that is security because you have this tenant system and you don't and you want to make sure that the content for one particular customer is airtight, doesn't leak. But at the same time, you want the content to be refreshed, but it has to be very very controlled. You need to have max security because you, you want to make sure that what you are refreshing is what you want to be refreshed and everything else gets locked in. Security is, is equals reputation for companies like that. So the TLS is, I forgot what TLS means. <laughs> Transport layer security. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So that is like critical components of security. And of course, Fastly from the beginning had security. But as you can imagine, they had different iterations of that. So I was coming in on a newly formed team to work on a, on a brand new iteration of that system. So they were going to modernize it using Go. There were parts of it that, that were in C because some things had to be very, very tiny. As far as like the binary had to be super tiny to work on the edge of, of things. But so it was super cool because then I got to learn like work with network things and it was very fascinating. I learned a lot of relevant things that I, I'm always going to, to make use of. So I think you spent like two years at Fastly and you're getting pretty down and deep with the TLS and the networking and caching systems and performance because performance is important to security. And then you take an opportunity to go to Hectio, which is why you're at VMware because eventually they acquired them. But 
I think it's an interesting story on what made you make that decision because you were happy at Fastly. They were a great company. They were really supporting you, right? I mean, you had no reason to leave other than why did you go to Heftio? Yeah, so a lot of things when we make a change, there is either a push or a pull or sometimes both. Um, you don't just like wake up and, oh, I'm going to change, uh, usually. So in my case, there were both a, a, a push and a pull dynamic ha that happened at the time. So, I, you know, like we developers, at least some of us are very lucky and maybe even spoiled a little bit that we can just like make, make a, a change whenever we feel like it. And I don't want to say that I just like, oh, I woke up and I felt like it. And that wasn't it at all. Like, I hope I, every time I make a move, there is a good reason behind it, especially when you're working with good people. So what happened was the pool side of things. I had people telling me, I'm not going to say like people who are on this call, but some people are telling me like Kubernetes is the next thing, it's super hot, that's where you should be, blah, 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 <laughs> uh, is the future. And then at the same time, I'm, when I was a, a Fastly, so net, network, I don't want to discourage anyone to, work, to not to work with network, but network, the technologies behind networking, they are very ancient. <laughs> They've been established. around. Established. Thank you, Bill. You're so diplomatic. They're very established. They've been around for a long time. So there are people in the market doing this work. I will never come to their, like, anywhere near them. Like, I, for me to be an expert, I don't know. Like, I could work for 10 years. I will still not be as ex anywhere near as, as an expert in networking as a lot of people who are in that field. Especially because, like, everyone knew, like, they, I think they could recite RFCs, seriously. Like, when you're working with technologies that are implemented based on RFCs, and what you get yourself into is, well, this library implements the IRC, this RFC, with, but, but it has this exception, that exception, that exception. And this other library implements the same RFC, but he has, and people just know that shit. <laughs> I'm like, how many decades for me to like memorize <laughs> this? Because once you know, then you know what to use. And you're just like, you talk, it's like talking a foreign language. And it was like, oh my gosh, I have, I have to read and then I have to match, like better match things. And I don't know. I just felt, okay, it's really like the go-to professional in that area. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. I also, it, I was working with some amazing, <laughs> experienced people, which it's good, but it's sometimes discouraging. <laughs> I don't want to be that person, but it, it was just like, okay, it wasn't that alone. But then, so I then I have the pool factor here, you know, Kubernetes, and it's sort of like when you join a new cutting edge technology, it's sort of like joining, a, 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 you know, something new. And then you have a chance to reinvent what role you want to play in that. And that is very, to me, to my personality, okay, it's very appealing. Now, do I want to go and jump in and just work anywhere? Maybe, but at the time, Hapsio was 
it had some great people. It had Brian Lyles, it had Dave Cheney, it had uh, Kevin Stewart, which I had, who I have met, not met before. Well, I, had, I met him at GoforCon actually, and he seemed like a really stand-up guy. And when I went to interview and I talked to Drobeta and Greg, I can't pronounce his last name. Those guys are so smart. I'm not kidding. It's like you want to be near people like that because it's like in close, like you have the opportunity to be in close proximity to people like that. If you have that chance, take it, take it. So that's, you know, I was lucky that I had a very good interview process and yeah, the history now. I think with the 10 minutes that we have left, I I want to explore just a couple more things here. So from the from the time you're at Fastly, from the time that you end up at Heptio, right? You're getting more and more involved in the Go community. And I, I just want to, exp- I, I like exploring that with people because I would say that a majority of the people that I would call friends are people that I've actively participated in community with, right? So for those people who are maybe at the beginning of your journey or maybe somewhere in the middle, and I had this conversation with Andy, right? Like, how important do you think it is to get involved in community and to create a network of relationships? Not everybody's capable of doing that, right? You have a very outgoing personality. I always feel it's important because it it can help you with that next opportunity, especially if suddenly you need it because your company's decided to start laying off, which we're seeing right now, right? But I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you got engaged, how important you think that is, and maybe what people could do who are hesitant to do it. Maybe it's not important at all. So just, just, just some thought. It's really hard to talk, like, what does getting involved with community even mean? Like, you join a forum and that's it? <laughs> like, what, what does that mean, right? What, what's the action item for that? Like, what's the actual prescription? It's like, just get involved. That is so vague. I don't even know what that means. But this is what it means, it meant for me when I did get involved. So, going back a little bit, when I joined the Ruby on Rails, community when I was starting to learn. Uh, frankly, when, like I was having my second kid. I was actually pregnant when I started learning. Is that true or is it my first kid? I don't know. So I have two kids and, and my memory is obviously it doesn't work. Uh, at any rate, I was going to GoBridge, uh, not GoBridge, I'm sorry, RailsBridge events. People were volunteering to teach workshops like that. And I always had a passion because I learned a lot and I met people and it really, really helped me, like helped me. I, I, I had a place to go and take a course for free, like a whole weekend and with people who had the same interests as me. And I got to meet the people in my local community who were doing the same things that I wanted to do in the work, working professionally or were learning or were growing the, in that direction. So I met so many people and it paid off so much. And all of the, the meetups, and I always had a passion of, wow, you know, I want to help too. But I had like babies. <laughs> I, I was, it was not a moment for me to do that. I just was not able to do all of it, right? But I always had it in the back of my mind. So when I came to the Go community, my kids were, you know, big enough 
and I felt that, that I had the bandwidth. So I'm like, I want to, this is my time. I want to help. So when you said that you wanted to start GoBridge, I was like, wow, I couldn't do it then, but I get to do it now. And it's brand new. I love doing brand new projects. I, lo I love starting projects and, you know, carrying them on to like they are self-sufficient. I love that, that, the potential. So because you were asking for help and I said, I want to help. And then you said, oh, yeah, I'm, I want to do coverage. I'm like, I, yeah, come in. So what I think really makes a difference if, is if you can show up with the intention to help. And it's very, like, messy because there is no straight line between, like, oh, I'll help over here and I'll get helped over there. How do these things work? I, I don't know. I just know that every time I showed up to help, some, somehow down the line, I got back tons more in, in return. You know, maybe, like, Oh, I helped someone, and then like three years later, I want to interview people for a position, and someone I met, you know, oh, do I, I get to inter? I, like I, I can entice that person to come and interview with me because we met in a community setting where I was an active participant. That's like the abstract way of saying there is no really clear line, like like a payoff that I can say you're going to get. But if, if you just try to help in any way, shape, or form, anywhere, I don't know. That's how it works for me. Like, if, when I'm helpful, things just pop up. All right. All right. No, no, I agree. And there are people who are introverted and it's hard. But I think meetups are a great place to start. Your local meetups are a great place to start. You can show up to a meetup and be like an assistant, like just like the go-get person. That's helping. You don't have to be an extrovert to like be the person who goes and gets bottles of water. You know what I mean? It's like you, you have to like just think through things like how can I help in a way that is comfortable for me, but it's, it's still helpful. I agree. And that meetup I've always found can become a family too, can become a, a second family. I, I love the meetups, even virtually that's working. All right. With the last few minutes we have. Uh, a big part of this podcast is hearing people's stories from kind of where they started to where they are with the hope that people, wherever they are in their journey or their story can kind of maybe relate and get an idea of what their next step is. So we kind of, we went through that with you and I love your story, but is there anything in the last couple of minutes that maybe somebody should hear that we didn't talk about that could help them? Uh, with their journey that they're going through right now? Yeah, so something that occurs to me is programming. Like, if you haven't been doing it for for some time, or if you're just getting into it, I think people who have been doing programming, they sort of know the way of the land. They can get themselves another job. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's helpful to hear stories from someone who has done a crossover to a different language, but it's much harder for a complete beginner. So, So my... What I would say is programming is not easy, duh, but can be very rewarding. What I think is that if you don't love it, you, it's going to be very hard for you to stick with it. So find ways to love it. Like find the, like if you're attracted to it, but you can't verbalize why, you got it. You just don't know what it is, but you 
being conscientious of what that is is really going to help you. Just f- try to find out what it is that attracts you to programming. Get good at it. And that is going to carry you through almost everything. That's going to carry you through all the difficulties, like when the test is not working and when you don't understand that you're going to have that inside you. You are not even going to be thinking about it consciously all the time, but you're just going to have it in you to keep going. So just find what you love about programming. I think it's really important. That's really good advice. I I think a lot of the people that I know who are successful have that love and passion for it. So and finding what tech you want to work on is also important. Yeah. A lot of people say, you know, you, you don't need to have a passion for programming. And, and I think it's semantics. Sometimes people talk, are really talking about semantics. Yeah. You don't have to like, oh, my gosh, I will, you know, my deathbed, I will regret not having an extra line of code. <laughs> That's not it. It's just like, well, you have, hopefully you have some attraction. It might be like the people you work with. You just like working with that people who, who think in terms of engineering and programming. You like working with that kind of people. And that's it. It might not, it doesn't have to be that, oh, I'm passionate about building online marketing systems. It doesn't have to be things like that. Just like find something you love about it and articulate it in your head. And just make sure you keep that in mind. Bring it up once in a while because otherwise, you just when you find yourself not having the stamina to sit there and look through all the error messages in your brain, you're just not with it. It's because you lost your your why to find it. Awesome, right. Carlicia, thank you so much for giving us this hour and telling us your story. I love the story. I love where you're at. And this is Bill Kennedy with the Arden Law Labs podcast. And make sure you subscribe and uh, we'll see you very soon. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Bill.